there is a section of the Haggadah, which is the book that we study and uh, recite on the Seder night, Passover night, and which contains the story of the Exodus and the redemption of the Jewish people from Egypt, praises to God for taking us out, for the divine providence, for his involvement in the world, um, various blessings, and it's a very, very beautiful service. There's a lot of interesting parts there, but there's one particularly uh, strange part which I want to talk about today, uh, which is that we are told that a number of rabbis, specifically Rabbi Yehoshua, Rabbi Eloza ben Azaria, and Rabbi Tarfon, came to join Rabbi Akiva in uh, B'nai Barak. And so these four rabbis celebrating um, in B'nai Barak together. So the question is, why these rabbis, why B'nai Barak, why are they with Rabbi Akiva? We ask this for a few reasons. First of all, one of them, whose name is Rabbi Eliezer, Eliezer he actually maintains in Tractate Sukkah 27b that you're not really supposed to leave your home for a festival. You're supposed to stay home with your family. If so, what's he doing in Bnei Brak, which is not where he was from? Uh, there are a couple of the rabbis who are older than Rabbi Akiva, so why are they there? So what's, what's going on? I mean, there is one explanation, which is that uh, the Torah is illustrating, or the Haggadah is illustrating to us that everyone has to talk, and that's the purpose of bringing this story, is to teach us that everyone is obligated to focus and to talk about and to investigate and to think about and to be thankful to God for the whole uh, Exodus story. Uh, even if you are brilliant, know everything, are an old elderly person, you've done it for years, so you certainly are not wiser and you don't know more, and you're not older than these rabbis, and yet they did speak about it all night. So that's the lesson for us, aside from which, one of them, Rabbi Akiva, was a descendant of converts, which means his ancestors were not even slaves in Egypt, and yet he felt it obligatory to speak about it all night, even though his ancestors weren't there. Uh, Rabbi Yehoshua um, was a Levite, and according to our tradition, the Levites were exempt from working in Egypt. They were considered priests and halts, so the Egyptians did not force them to work. Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Tarfon were indeed Kohanim. They were priests who were also from the tribe of Levi, so they also didn't work. So here you've got rabbis who not only are they brilliant and know the story already, not only are they elders, which means they've done it for many years, but they're also descendants of people who didn't even uh, experience the full degree of slavery in Egypt. And in the case of Rabbi Akiva, not at all. And nevertheless, they fulfilled this obligation, so that's a lesson to all of us uh, to fulfill the obligation. But this doesn't answer the question as to what they're doing in Bnei Barak specifically. Why did they come to that city? By the way, I should point out that the Bnei Barak, which we are talking about, is not the same as modern-day Bnei Barak. Modern Bnei Barak in Israel was founded in the 1940s, I think it is, and it's a fairly recent city uh, built on an area there was nothing there, probably but sand dunes. Now there is a beautiful community, uh, tens of thousands of Jews living there, one of the largest yeshivot rabbinical schools in the world known as Ponovich, and, of course, one of the great sites of Israel, and uh, the Coca-Cola factory is there as well, which is kosher. Anyway, uh, so what are they doing in Bnei Barak? So there's a th- three explanations I'd like to mention. The first is historical. 
According to the Talmud in Kiddushin 26 and Bavabatra 74, these rabbis actually had gone on a trip to Rome, not a tourist or pleasure trip. They went to Rome to lobby the Senate in Rome to relieve the Jews of, of, of oppressive taxes and persecution. This was something we find in the Talmud. The rabbis frequently used to travel to Rome to lobby the government to help alleviate uh, the uh, troubles of the Jews from an oppressive Roman government. And sometimes they were successful, sometimes they were not. Obviously, going to Rome to lobby the Senate does not mean you have much of a choice about your itinerary. And consequently, these rabbis returned from Rome by boat, and they arrived back in Israel on the eve of, Shab- on the eve of Pesach, that is to say, the day of uh, the Pesach was that night, starting at night, and they came in that du- during that day. They had no time to make it home, so they went to the home of a rabbi who was the closest to the port, and that was Rabbi Akiva. Hence, they're in Bnei Brak. So that's one possibility, a little bit of a historical explanation. The psychological explanation is given by the author of the Aruch HaShulchan, who says that these rabbis were living at the time of the Hadri- of Hadri- Emperor Hadrian's horrific perse- persecution of the Jews. In fact, we know Rabbi Akiva was eventually killed during those persecutions. So here we are living in a horrific time, the Hadrianic persecution of the Jewish people. And these rabbis found it difficult to be in the appropriate frame of, of mind to celebrate the redemption, to celebrate the exodus when we're in the midst of another exile, we're in the midst of another oppression. How could they do that? So they went to the expert in this area. The expert in this area is Rabbi Akiva. If you look in the Talmud in Makot 24, the Talmud relates, and there's quite a few places where you find a similar concept in which Rabbi Akiva, confronted by something horrific, the depths of exile, Rabbi Akiva was able to see through it and see it as only a temporary stage in the path towards redemption. So when the Jews heard, the rabbis heard the Roman camp celebrating from miles away right, with their pagan festivities, and the other rabbis started crying, Rabbi Akiva started laughing because he said, you know what, if here these people who are idolaters and who transgress the will of God, and nevertheless they have such joy and having such reward, how much more so uh, greater will the reward be for those who fulfill the will of God? And the rabbi said, Akiva, you've comforted us. Akiva, you've comforted us. When they saw foxes walking in the Holy of Holies and the other rabbis cried, Rabbi Akiva laughed. And he said, because when I see the depths of exile, I realize that if we've reached the bottom and those prophecies of exile are linked to prophecies of redemption. So when I see the depths of exile, I am seeing in that also the heights of redemption. And the other rabbi said, Akiva, you've comforted us. Akiva, you've comforted us. So if the rabbis felt that they were in the depth of exile, and they wanted to be comforted. They wanted to have their mindset moved into a different plane where they could appreciate the exodus. They could appreciate all this, even though in the midst of Hadrian's persecutions. So the person you go to is Rabbi Akiva. And that's what they did. The third answer is given by Rav Kook, who says that there, the Talmud states in Tuvot that there was a Rabbi Rami Bar Yechezkel who came to Israel. And when he came to Israel, he saw with his own eyes that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. He saw the honey referred to in the Torah, in the Bible, when it refers to Israel flowing with milk and honey, the honey actually referred to as date honey. 
It's one of the seven species with which Israel is blessed with. And the dates exude a certain honey or a syrup. And if you stand under a date palm in Israel when it's all ripe, you'll find it sticky on the ground from that date honey. By the way, I should also point out that the milk that is referred to here, milk and honey, many ancient of Jewish scholars say milk here is referring to white wine. It's a biblical term for white wine was milk. Because Israel is not renowned for its dairy farms. In fact, the tribes of uh, Ruven and Gad and the half the tribe of Menashe, they wanted to be on the other side, the east side of the Jordan, because that had good pasture land for their cattle. Israel was not ideal for that. So, but, but in terms of wine production, Israel is one of the best place, the best place in the world. I, I'm sorry, I've got to say that with pride, uh, for the production of wine. So, flowing with milk and honey may refer to wine. However, the Talmud there, Rami Bar Yecheskel, actually understood milk as literal. Uh, because what happened was, there was a goat standing under the date palm, and the goat was licking the, uh, licking the, uh, syrup or the honey of the dates, and there was milk dripping from its udder. And the milk from the udder of the of the goat was mingling with the date honey and flowing. And he said, I saw, I came to Israel and I saw with my own eyes that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And the Talmud says the place that he saw that was Bnei Brak, that city. So what better place to celebrate the Exodus than the place where you can see the beauty and the greatness of the land of Israel. So not only are you appreciating that God took us out of Egypt, but you're appreciating what he gave us instead of Egypt. He gave us the beautiful land of Israel. Where could you see that? Graphically, the sages were able to see that in the place called B'nai Barak, and that's why they went to Rabbi Akiva to celebrate.